Hello, and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and we've got a really exciting show for you today. Though before I announce my guest, I want to make a couple of quick announcements because there have been some exciting changes in the ACRAC family, and uh, I would like to let you know. So listeners will know that Dr. Brian Park, who is an anesthesia resident currently, uh, at Massachusetts General Hospital, uh, has been doing some of the outlines for the show that have been really great and are becoming new show notes. And Brian is going to step it up and take over as tech lead for the ACRAC podcast. And as our tech lead, he's going to be doing really kind of uh, some awesome work, shoring up those show notes, putting some links in those show notes so that you can click on a certain section. It'll take you right there in the recording. And uh, he'll be doing some work with the website as well as some other stuff. So uh, Dr. Park is really going to play a great role, and I'm appreciative to him for taking that on. You will also know that uh, Kimia Cash-Cooley, who has been our intern, we're going to change her name for the last month of her tenure here to our social media manager. That role will now be the ACRAC social media manager. And uh, Kimmy has done an incredible job. She'll continue that for about a month. And then because she'll become an actual intern uh, in her uh, upcoming residency program, she'll step back a little, but she's going to stay on and continue helping make some of the show notes. And then April Liu, who is a medical student who's been helping with the show notes, is going to take over as our next social media manager. So exciting stuff here at ACRAC, and I think you're going to see it pay off in the quality of the show notes and the social media stuff that continues to be great, thanks to Kimia and April. So thanks to everyone. And now let's move on with our exciting episode of the day. I have back with me Justin Harvey who listeners will know was on the show before. He is a fee-only financial advisor and a certified financial planner, or CFP. He's also the president and founder of APM Wealth. That's Anesthesia and Pain Management Wealth. He's also married to an anesthesia resident. So he really knows this world of anesthesiology and pain management. And he's done a lot in terms of helping folks think through their financial options uh, he is, again, um, fee-only, so uh, he does not uh, make any money based on your choices. And if you go back to my original episode with him, uh, he actually talks about what that means and why, if you're going to pick somebody, whether it's him or anyone else, you really do want that kind of advisor. Now, I will say that uh, I'm not having Justin on to advertise uh, for his company, though you should know that he has one, of course, in terms of taking that into account. But... He's really an expert on thinking about finances, and he'll talk to you and help you out even if you don't decide to hire him. And he's got a really interesting perspective and some great stuff to share, which is what we're going to talk about today around how COVID-19 and the economic fallout has affected specifically physician finances, or especially because it's his specialty, anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Excited to have him back. Justin, welcome back to the show. Dr. Wolpaw, pleasure to be here. Thanks again. So let me just start with a kind of broad question, as I just mentioned. How has COVID-19 affected physician finances? We obviously, if, if you kind of had said to me, or I think most of us back before any of this happened, what would a pandemic do in terms of its effect on physician finances? I think most people would have said, oh, it probably won't really affect physicians because they'll be working harder than ever. And yet, in some ways, we have seen it have a major effect. So tell me what we've seen and, and kind of broad outlines. That's absolutely right. And it's been frankly, surprising to everyone, including myself, if you said like, Justin, what are, if you had to pick a group of like the most resilient, the most say like bulletproof 
incomes, jobs, vocations in America, what would they be? I would say near the top of that list would be probably anesthesiologists. Um, and yet what we've seen because of the pandemic and elective case volume falling off a cliff necessarily, that there's been this surprising but uh, you know understandable economic impact at the institution level that has trickled all the way down to the physicians themselves, even in the academic world, which is probably the most protected from these types of events we're seeing, I mean, I have clients in certain places taking pay cuts in academic anesthesia departments just because the money isn't there from the surgeries. So it's, it's kind of unprecedented times as far as like, you know, our lifetime, what we're seeing. Um, but as far as like the impact and the way it unfolds, it's not unlike other financial, um, catastrophes, I guess you could say, where there's like a lot of people losing jobs, incomes getting cut and people having to rely on whatever their contingency plans are. So it's a, it's a bit of an unnerving time for everyone, I would say. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's absolutely right. And it sounds like, but you'll tell us more, uh, you know, this has hit folks in private practice, maybe even harder than folks in academics. Um, and so it's a real, yeah. it's a, been a real impact. Um, and we should acknowledge, of course, that, uh, and I think all physicians would agree that just still having a job for, for those who do is a blessing. And there are many, many Americans out there without jobs right now. So, you know, um, this is not to say that there aren't people a lot worse off, but it is going to be, I think, important for folks to know what's going on and what their options are um, if they either are out of a job or have are facing some, some major changes in their compensation. Yeah. So one of the things that that happened has been the passing of the CARES Act, and that had some effect on student loans. Tell me what happened there and how that uh, might play out for uh, folks in medicine. Absolutely. So on March 13th, President Trump announced um, this institution of a new student loan policy where for the foreseeable future at the time, and we now know it's until September 30th, there's going to be, for anyone who has direct federal loans, which are most federal loans taken out after like 2011, uh, and some FFEL loans, which are some of the loans taken out before 2011, um, any of those loans that are federal will be subject to a 0% uh, interest rate, meaning the interest gets paused and a $0 required payment until the end of September. So as you experienced and as many of your colleagues experienced, um, student loans get put on hold and you don't have to pay anything. And in addition, these months count for PSLF forgiveness. So anybody who's going for forgiveness, who's trying to get to that 120 payment threshold finish line, that payment threshold has effectively been shortened from 120 payments to 114 because we now have six months happening for free. Right. And, addition, and I just, oh, sorry, guys. yeah, sorry, Justin, but I, I want to emphasize a couple things. One PSLF uh, is public service loan forgiveness, um, which most, but not all, but most physicians, uh, depending on their employer are uh, potentially eligible for. And I will just, I'll say when I heard this, that my, this was happening with my loans, that I wasn't going to have to pay them and it was going to count toward loan forgiveness. I thought it was a mistake. I thought the email was wrong because it seemed like it couldn't be, (laughs) couldn't be true. So it is of all the bad things that have happened. This is one really wonderful thing. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I would say in addition, I mean, there's current discussions right now. There's the sort of coronavirus cares act 2.0 currently in discussion. And who knows, like, as this thing continues to unfold and the economic impact continues to sort of ripple out and be more understood, it's highly possible that this 930 deadline could get extended to the end of the year or to 930 of next year, 
I've heard talks of all of those things. And there's a handful of proposals that incorporate student loans that are before uh, our congressional houses right now, and all of which are pretty borrower friendly. So it's certainly a time that if you have federal loans, definitely don't refinance because right now you're paying zero interest. And just, I'd say, continue to wait and see because it, it's pretty good right now and it might get even better depending on what happens. Yeah. And so, you know, this applies to, like you said, folks with federal loans um, and there's really no advantage, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of any reason to pay anything toward your federal loans right now. You're not getting That's charged correct. interest and you're, yeah. and you're, and you don't have to pay. Yeah. So there's some people out there that think, oh my gosh, I'm so close to PSLF. This feels weird. It feels wrong. I want to just keep on paying so that I know that I'm getting credit. I would say resist that urge to the extent that you can, because the law is clear. This time counts for PSLF, no payment required. So if you're continuing to pay, you're just lighting dollar bills on fire. Yep. And uh, it, it is, again, it's one of those things that I, I think we've all become so accustomed to nothing but pain and suffering and bad <laughs> news right. from our loan, our loan holders. Uh, yeah. And um, that we just, it's hard to believe that this is, yeah. that this could be true, but, um, but it is. So you mentioned some of the other kind of things that are going on in terms of possible legislative um, activity that could affect things, whether it's extending the, the amount of time you can go uh, without having to pay these loans or, you know, I think there's at least one proposal by a, a congresswoman that would forgive physician loans, period, um, which as a kind of a thank you for those who have been directly on the front lines caring for COVID patients. I will not say I'm optimistic about that happening, but um, yeah, it's nice to know that. Yeah, it's nice to know that, that uh, there are folks out there pushing for it. Um, you mentioned that no one should refinance right now. Um, and that's because if you refinance, you lose the ability to to you would no longer have federal loans and then they would not get this benefit. Is that right? That's right. It's important to note that what I just described applies to federal loans only. And it's actually a, a subset. It is the majority, but a subset of federal loans. So if you have private loans, if you're at SoFi or Earnest or LendKey or Common Bond, one of those banks, because maybe you said, I'm going into private practice. I know I'm not going to qualify for PSLF. So I just want to refinance and pay them off. And at the time, that was a rational decision because your federal loans are at 7% and you refinance at 4%. Like that makes sense. But right now, if you still have those federal loans that were at 7% in February, in March, they drop down to zero and they're going to be at zero until September. So it may in the long run still make sense to refinance, but you should stay in the federal system with this 0% interest rate for as long as it lasts and then consider refinancing on the back end if refinancing is something that you want to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the fact that right now interest rates, you know, from the Fed are very low, yeah, that's right. does that make refinancing rates lower or not necessarily? Yeah. It, well, so a couple of things are happening. The short answer is yes. Refinancing rates, mortgage rates, anything benchmarked to the federal funds rate are all at all-time lows. It's also creating right now a weird dislocation where Benchmark rates are low, but also banks are freaked out because, I mean, a couple of the treasury, the two and the five-year treasury rates, I think, went negative for a little while. So because the economic situation is very weird, there's 38 million jobless claims in the last nine weeks, banks are skittish. So it's possible to get a good rate, but underwriting standards may be very rigorous or they may be um, a little bit just dislocated from the normal way of things. Mm -hmm. So that's just something to bear in mind as you're 
considering either a mortgage or a, a refinance of some other sort. Yeah, great. So when you're talking to physicians and they're worried about job security, um, either in terms of their, their salary going down or even losing their job, or maybe they already have, what would you suggest they do to position themselves financially to protect themselves as much as possible? Great question. I would say there's a lot of different ways to come at this. So I would, I would want to think about it sort of sequentially from a career standpoint, just to make things very simple. Yeah. So um, maybe starting if, with med students and going from there. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a med student right now and you're, first of all, if you're a med student and you're like an MS one through three, there's really nothing for you to do. Just keep on trying to get good grades. Um, yep. If you just graduated, congratulations. I'm sorry that your commencement was a little bit weird and probably in Zoom format or <laughs> like in a car or something. Uh, and you should consider refinancing, or sorry, not refinancing. You should consider consolidating your loans right now because at the conclusion of med school, there's this six-month grace period that you get automatically kicked into. So you'll have no payments required until November, but um, – you have an opportunity to start those PSLF eligible payments sooner if you consolidate. When you consolidate, you create a new direct consolidation loan. The process usually takes one to two months. If you consolidate today, probably in like end of June or July, you'll enter repayment and you will do so at a $0 payment. So then from July, August, September, October, well, yeah, those three, July, August, September, those are three free months of PSLF credit with a $0 payment. And under the normal circumstances, if you do nothing, you're going to have no payments required until November, but you're not getting any PSLF credit. So if you think about what your required payments are going to be at the end of your career, 10 years from now, if you want to do PSLF, you're going to be paying two, $3,000 a month. What you're doing is you're trading three payments at the end of 3000 a month for three payments at the beginning of $0 a month and saving yourself five to $10,000. So consolidating right now for a med student, especially if you're going to be interested in PSLF is a great idea. Um, for residents, I would say same thing applies. Right now, if you if you were in forbearance before all of this happened, this is a good time to revisit the strategy because forbearance is the right decision for very, very, very few residents. You should be in some sort of income-driven strategy if you can possibly manage. Yeah, and just um, to, to be clear, so forbearance means you have basically said to the, to the government, I can't pay these loans, so correct. I won't, but correct. you're... But prior to COVID anyway, prior to the CARES Act, your interest still accumulated, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So now you're in coronavirus forbearance. So you, your payment went from a $0 payment with an interest rate associated to now you have a $0 payment with zero interest. But you're going to have a decision to make at the end of this time frame where you can potentially re-enter repayment on an income-driven plan. So what I'm saying is for residents in forbearance, consider this opportunity as a decision point to say, I want to get back into an income-driven plan so I can either start making PSLF credit or perhaps get on revised pay as you earn and capture some of that interest rate subsidy, which I think we talked about back in episode 110 about, um, you know, Uncle Sam gives you free money essentially to defray your interest cost on an ongoing basis. That's something that you should consider, uh, at the end of this COVID sort of forbearance period. Um, in addition, I'll also mention we're coming up on the end of the academic year for any residents or fellows who are about to conclude. You should think about getting disability insurance before the end of the year. Um, disability carriers often offer special deals for residents and fellows when they're under uh, a residency program. So you can get lifetime discounts on your disability insurance and, and you'll take it with you 
wherever you go for however long you have that policy. And whenever you increase that policy, when you become an attending, that discount applies to all of the new dollars of coverage that you purchase. So it's a really great opportunity for the next, you know, month ish. If you can like squeeze it in to, to get that coverage in place. Nice. Um, and then for transitioning physicians, if you're a fellow or a resident and you're looking at jobs and this gets a little more to the question you were asking before, Looking at the economic impact of coronavirus is going to get really important because not only is like your own personal finances going to be impacted, but the finances of the people who are signing your paycheck in the future may be significantly impacted. So it, it will pay to be able to sort of uh, dig in a little bit and understand what is the practice model of my prospective employer, how many contracts do they have, how many sites of service, if it's a private practice, if it's an academic center, you're probably more insulated from some of these questions. But in any private group, understanding the type of private group, is it a smaller group with a handful of doctors that maybe they're all working for free right now <laughs> and they're just trying to hang on and if this thing drags out another couple months, they may go under or be forced to sell? Or is it, um, you know, there was a, there's a lot of consolidation happening right now in the anesthesia world um, Napa, North American Partners in Anesthesia, recently acquired American Anesthesiology from Mednax, which is somewhere between 1,300 and 1,500 anesthesiologists, I believe, for hmm. a bunch of money. So even among the mega players, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of consolidation. It's just something to be aware of. Understand basically what is the worst case scenario for whatever practice model you're considering moving toward. If it's one of the bigger groups, you know, the, the dynamics are different than a smaller group. And you always want to look at the contract language for whatever you're signing and say, like, what is the worst case? What is the disaster contingency? Because, like, that is happening right now. The disaster contingency is happening. It's playing out right now. So yeah. you want to understand if you're on a production model, if you're on – if it's, like, a partnership track where you're taking a $100,000 haircut for two years on your pay to be able to get on a partnership track, like, you should know these things. You should think about these things because – if you're taking a big haircut in order to get equity in the future, that might not come to fruition. Your partners right now are under immense stress to, to sell uh, because they're taking a huge financial loss and they can get their golden parachute, sell out to a big group and, and walk away. So mm -hmm. if you sign a contract at a place like that, um, it's just an important dynamic to be aware of. Uh, one other thing I always usually tell people to try to get a signing bonus um, that could come off as a little tone deaf if you walk in the door right now with a bunch of partners who are all working for free and say, hey, I'd love $30,000 to sign on the dotted line. Um, what I've encouraged some of my clients to do is think about a retention bonus instead. And it offers you an opportunity to come in and say, I'm a team player. I want to join this group. I want to work really hard. I want to help see us through this very dark and difficult time, knowing that there's a ton of pent-up demand for future surgeries that are going to happen. And if, if you come in and say, I know... The rain clouds are there on the horizon. It's not here yet, but it's coming. I want to help. I want to work really hard. And then at the one-year anniversary of signing this contract, instead of getting an upfront payment, negotiate a defer, essentially a deferred signing bonus. Hmm. That would be something that probably you're more likely to receive. Uh, you're also going to show that you're like a, a strategic thinker because you understand the practice dynamics and you're empathetic and you're somebody who's going to be a good coworker. And also you're establishing professional credibility. You're saying like, I, as a professional, as a clinician, I know what I'm worth and I'm not afraid to ask for something if it seems reasonable. And if we can grow the pie for everyone, if I can work really hard and earn what I'm worth, then partners are going to be more receptive to that than saying, hey, I want money today. Yeah, that's such a good 
thought, and that's why you're a professional in this. And I'm not, it never even occurred to me, not that I'm looking for jobs, but I would never even thought to recommend that to one of my residents looking at private practice jobs. So that's a great tip. Um, all right. So, so that's kind of taken us through different levels of training and what people need to be thinking about. Um, let's say that doctors are concerned, as I think many are. Um, you had mentioned that there's, there's a way to build a, a quote unquote, no cost buffer in their lives. Uh, to kind of eliminate or, or help attenuate some of the fear of going into, for example, credit card debt, uh, to have to fund short-term liabilities. Talk to me about that. What, what does that mean? Yeah, good question. So this is a time when a lot of people who don't have an emergency fund wish that they did. And for a lot of people who aren't prepared, the, the first and easiest alternative to pay for an expense that you can't afford is a credit card. Credit cards are going to be between 15 and 30% interest rate. And that's very, very expensive debt. So you should avoid that if at all possible. Yeah. Now, there are some ways, I would, I would call this like a, I mean, in a perfect world, you're sitting on three to six months or more of cash of living expenses in the bank, 50 or 100K, so that if you lose your job, get furloughed, you have to go to point eight, whatever, you can fund that without having to go into debt. That's an ideal situation. Understandably, not everyone is there and it doesn't help me. It doesn't help you if you're furloughed for me to say, oh, well, you need an emergency fund. Like, well, if you don't have one, then we need to look at other alternatives. A couple other alternatives to be able to meet short-term obligations. These are, I would call them a Band-Aid, but they're way better than a credit card. Would be looking at uh, a promotional offer for a credit card at 0% for a period of time. Um, that's one way to defer the interest. You're not, you're not paying interest, but you've got to be aware that there's a time horizon. It's probably 12 or 18 months where you can put money on that card if you don't have any other recourse and it's better than a credit card with an interest rate, but it's not as good as paying in cash, obviously. Another option and something that I did actually uh, a few years ago when I was starting this company and I wasn't sure how it was going to go and I needed to build in some emergency buffer is I have equity in my home and I went to the bank and said, hey, I want a line of credit. And often you can get up to 80% or 90% of what's called the LTV, the loan to value on your house. So if you have a house that's worth 600K and you've got 200K of equity in it, that means you have 66% of, sorry, wait, if it's worth 600, you have 200K of equity. Yeah, there's 66% that you owe and 33% that is what you have in, right. in your sort of account from an equity standpoint. A bank will give you up to, if you have 33%, they'll let you take an additional 13% potentially to take you to 20% or maybe 23%, meaning you can access, you know, 50 or $100,000 as a line of credit, which you don't need to use it, but you're telling the bank, I want to be able to write a check against the value of my home to meet some unforeseen emergency expense. If your AC goes out or your engine on your car blows up and you don't want to put it on a credit card, you can open up this line of credit on your house without having to incur any cost. So it's a no-cost way to build in an emergency fund. And again, if you use that money, if you say, okay, I've, I can now access $75,000 of home equity and I just wrote a $20,000 check because my roof was leaking and I needed a new roof, that $20,000 you are going to pay interest on, but it's going to be 4 4.5% rather than the you know, 29% if you swiped for it. Yeah. So it doesn't cost you anything to put that into place. It can unlock excess capacity in your life uh, you, again, you still have to pay it back, but if you're in dire straits, if you're a physician who just got furloughed that doesn't have an emergency fund, these are some strategies you could think about to help bridge the gap between now and the time that you're fully employed. 
Great. So basically what you do, if you want to take advantage of this, is you say to your bank, I want to do this. It doesn't cost anything to do. And then you have this money available. If you never use it, you never pay anything. If you use it, then you pay a relatively low interest rate on what you use. That's right. And some banks will charge a setup fee. I think I probably paid 500 bucks for mine, but it's, uh, it was a, you know, 500 K 500 bucks to unlock 60 or hundred K or whatever. Right. Uh, as an emergency fund can be money well spent. Yep. That makes total sense. And I, the other thing that, uh, that I'm aware of is um, for residents, at least for anesthesia residents, there are some options like the American Society of Anesthesiology has some no interest loans for kind of residents in extremis. So if yeah. now residents salaries have not been cut, at least that I'm aware of, I'm not sure that that can happen. But um, if you're a resident who is looking ahead and thinking, you know, I just lost the job offer that I had and I'm not sure, you know, what's going on and you need some money, the American Society of Anesthesiologists does offer some no interest loans for residents. Um, there may be, I would also recommend checking with your local GME office because some places do have some local um, loans or even sometimes grants, uh, as in you don't have to pay it back for residents who have financial hardship. So, you know, um, not probably quite as easy for attendings, but for residents, uh, there are those things available. So I would definitely look into them. Yeah. And let me also mention, I just remembered uh, my friend, Dr. Zwade Marshall, who is an anesthesiologist, also pain boarded. He started this company called Doc to Doc Lending. That's DOC number two DOC. And they focus on lending exclusively to physicians and dentists at lower than market rates of what you would get from your bank. So if you're looking for other financing, um, they've really have a fascinating model and they're able to get a great deal for physicians who sometimes don't have other recourse. So if you're looking at, you know, all the different options available to you, you might throw that one in the hat as well, especially for physicians who are transitioning. You know, if you're going from residency to, to uh, either fellowship or an attending role and you're like, you're cash strapped and you need $10,000 to pack up all your stuff and drive it across the country, that could be a great option for you as well. Absolutely. That's great. All right. We'll maybe put a, is it doc to doclending.com or I think it is. I will get you the link and we can put it in show notes. Great. That's fantastic. There's a few Um, anesthesiologists actually that are on the board there and it's, it's definitely like all in the family. So I would recommend checking them out. Awesome. Now you had mentioned uh, that graduates, graduating residents and fellows can kind of negotiate in a way that's financially savvy, also sensitive to the financial hardships. And you, you already talked about um, doing that one option or one, one example of that might be to propose a deferred signing signing bonus. Are there other things you'd recommend for folks who are in the midst of job negotiations right now? Good question. I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Uh, I would say there's a ton of things you should think about and consider. You should definitely hire an expert. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other COVID specific stuff. Nothing comes immediately to mind. I, the most important things are just make sure you're very clear on expectations and make sure you have an attorney. Look at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even and if you it's know, the most, yeah. Even if it's only to establish expectations and get clarity, it's still worth the 500 or 1,000 bucks that it costs to get that done. So I would say never sign anything without an attorney looking at it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had, uh, I did an episode with Dr. Jerry Stonemetz, who is a uh, faculty member at Hopkins now, but ran a private practice for a long time. And his advice is same as what you just said, is if you're looking at private practices, you absolutely have to have a lawyer look at your contract. If you're looking at an academic job, probably less important um, because those are pretty standard and there's not much room for negotiation in there anyway. Uh, 
but definitely in private practice, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yep. I absolutely agree. And one of the other things is if you have some sort of production model or something or RVUs or percent of collections or make sure that you understand the economics based on different levels of productivity and what does it mean as far as money in your checking account? And if you don't get that, have an expert explain it to you in a way where you say, okay, if I come in the door and then COVID roars back in October and I'm like sitting on my hands for three months, that means I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars next year. Like you would want to know that and you should make sure that you get clear on those expectations up front. Absolutely. Justin, this has been great, great advice. I'm amazed that you're offering it for free, but certainly grateful. Um, (laughs) Is there anything we didn't touch on that you think is important to mention? Um, A couple other things I would say for the more established attending crowd or for people without other immediate financial needs is this is a good time to think about a couple of the, I call them the blocking and tackling of financial planning. Right now is a great time to get uh, life insurance because some of the big life insurance companies are offering coverage without medical underwriting up to 2 million, two and a half million, 3 million in some cases for physicians who have had a clean physical in the last two years and don't have any other health issues. So if that describes you, you can get a decent amount of term coverage without having to get poked and pee in a cup. And that's, it's nice just because it's more convenient. If you've been like kicking the can on that and delaying, this is an optimal time to do that. And in addition, and you probably know this better than me, uh, but with regards to like the estate plan and thinking about a living will and healthcare powers of attorney and guardianship for your kids, this is also a good time if you haven't done that you know, we're more aware of our mortality right now as humans. And if this is something that is on your mind and you haven't ever done that, consider taking this opportunity to talk to a good estate planning attorney, get some of that in place and think of it as an expression of care for your loved ones, because they're the ones who are going to have to pick up the pieces or when you're intubated, God forbid, like make the decision about what your medical future is going to look like. And having some things in place before that is really a nice way to lift that heavy burden that they're going to be carrying. Yeah, that's great advice. My wife and I literally had this on our to-do list for 10 years Mm -hmm. and we finally uh, did it. And part of the reason was, and I would encourage folks to check out whether your employer provides an optional legal insurance option. It turned out that, that mine did and I was able to, for a very small amount, sign up for it. And then I was able to actually get this entire estate planning done for free um, using that insurance. And it was great. And it's, it's way more complicated than I ever would have imagined in terms of, you know, you'd think you could just say, okay, if my wife and I both die, we want our kids to go here. But there's like multiple layers and, you know, all kinds of yeah. stuff. So it's really nice to have someone who's expert in that do it. And then also, you know, it, it's, it's a nice peace of mind to kind of say, okay, we, we took care of this and, you know, it's been done the right way. So that's great advice. Let me ask you this. Uh, The stock market, obviously, though, has done some recovery. It has done pretty poorly since COVID. Uh, What it seems to me, but I'm no expert, that if you are able to still, let's say you, for example, put a certain amount of money into your kids' 529 plans every month. You know, you may be in a financial situation right now where you can no longer do that. But if you can, it seems like this would be the best time because the stock market is is relatively low. And one would expect that at some point, though, though maybe years down the road, it will be back to where it was. If you can put money in now, you're only going to benefit down the road. Is that right? Great question. So this is a complex question. And it's a good time to say, if you have a financial plan, stick to the plan. 
And it depends on the time horizon for which you're investing. I will say from the lows on March 23rd, the stock market is actually up 35%. I'm just yeah. looking at it right now. So it's true that there was trauma <laughs> to the stock market, but it has come back a long way. And if, you know, I, like I said before, 38 million jobless claims in the last nine weeks, if that continues to get worse and the, there's like a, another relapse later this year and we have a lot less buffer as a society, it's not difficult for me to imagine another big swoon mm-hmm. in the stock market. Now, I'm categorically not a prognosticator, so this is not, I'm not giving anybody investment advice out there, but I yeah. would say if you don't have a strategy, a plan, a cohesive approach for how you're investing over what time horizon and what types of accounts, it's a good time to evaluate what am I doing and why. Because if you're investing for 20 years, like I'm investing for retirement right now, like does that change anything? Like no. Keep on maxing out your 401k, 403b, stuff as much money in those accounts as you can and act like nothing else is happening. If you're saying, well, I want to buy a house in two years and I've got my little nest egg for my down payment and I'm thinking I could like catch some of the upside in the stock market, should I do that? I would say, well, that sounds like a bad idea to me. But this is a great time to think about hiring a professional. There's a lot of good fee-only financial planners out there that would be willing to engage with you in this discussion. At uh, and uh, you know, you mentioned what fee-only is. That's it's a fee for service. So you pay them, and they give you all of the intelligence in their head about whether or not you should do something based on your specific situation. So if you're thinking about investments, that's the way that I would frame the discussion. Great. All right. Well, Justin, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, I didn't warn you, but I'm going to ask you if you, uh, now that you know, you're a couple months into probably relative or complete quarantine, uh, what have you been doing? Do you have any recommendations for folks, something fun, something that's been keeping you upbeat or entertained uh, that you recommend people check out? Great question. Oh, man. There's a lot that I could say. Uh, I'm doing more push-ups now. Uh, and trying to go for walks and get a little bit of vitamin D. And it's really eerie because here in Philadelphia, you know, although I will say in the last few days, people are starting to come out more. It's been kind of weird walking around with like, it's a little bit like post-apocalyptic land, walking up and down Baltimore Ave here. Um, totally. But uh, that is <laughs> great for my own mental health. Um, my wife and I just started watching Downton Abbey last night. <laughs> so nice. I think it's having something show. you can do with your spouse where you can turn off your brain and de-stress a little bit has, has been really fun for us. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was working on a biography of Henry Kissinger recently, which was really interesting. I think I'm taking this opportunity with the downtime, with less social interaction to try to just um, do things that are keeping my body healthy and stimulating my brain. And uh, I've, frankly, I've, although, you know, it's been uncomfortable in a lot of ways, I've also enjoyed the change of pace to be able to say, I would never have time to sit down and read a 1,200-page biography, but you know what? <laughs> I'm going to do it today. Totally. And, uh, and that's been a lot of fun. So Awesome. Um, well, those are great uh, suggestions. I uh, will say that one thing I've been enjoying a lot, I'm a, a fantasy novel um, fan, nice. uh, love, have always, since I was a kid, loved them. And I, you know, loved uh, Game of Thrones. I've always loved uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, I love the Brandon Sanderson books. But I, for a while, had been really struggling to find a great series um, after all of those uh, and just randomly was kind of searching through some blogs that were talking about it and found a recommendation for a five-book series called The Demon Cycle by an author named Peter Brett. And I am now three books into the five and am just loving it. It's really, if you like books like uh, you know, Game of Thrones, um, Brandon Sanderson's, um, uh, books. If you like, um, uh, the, um, 
Patrick uh, Rothfuss books, um, the King Killer Chronicles. Uh, these are a kind of right, right fit well into that um, and, and are been very enjoyable. So anyone looking for a good fantasy series, check that out. That's a great recommendation. I know my wife has enjoyed the King Killer Chronicles. I actually, I only recently got to Harry Potter, so I'm very much uh, <laughs> still earning my spurs in the, the fantasy space. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check that out. Nice. Well, I would definitely go before you get to these. I would <laughs> recommend uh, Game of Thrones if you haven't read those books. Okay. I'd recommend the, the, what your wife read, the King Killer Chronicles, um, and, and some others as well. Um, anyway, uh, Justin, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Wolfpaw. Always a pleasure. All right. That was great. I always learn a ton talking to Justin. I think he's really um, a guy who knows a lot about this and is generous with his time and advice, which is great. Um, all right. Let us know what you thought. Go to the website, com. You can leave a comment. Others can learn from what you have to say. You can also join the conversation on Twitter. I'm at Jay Walpaw, and we're at ACRAC Podcast, and, of course, also the Facebook ACRAC group. If you're a fan of the show, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. If you'd like to support the making of the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash ACRAC. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash A-C-C-R-A-C, where you can become a patron of the show. Even if it's just a dollar or two that you pledge, it makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. You can, of course, also make a donation anytime by going to paypal.me slash ACRAC. Thanks so much to those who are already patrons and have already made donations. It makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. A huge thank you to our tech lead, Dr. Brian Park, to our social media manager, Kimia Cash-Cooley, and our rising social media manager, April Liu. And, of course, our original ACRAC music is by Dr. Dennis Kuo, and you can check out his website at studymusicproject.com. All right. That is it for today. Thank you so much to everyone out there for everything you're doing in the midst of this pandemic. Thanks for listening. For the ACRAG Podcast and Justin Harvey, I'm Jet Wolpaw. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. 